John and Shannon Sorensen's son, Gabe, was diagnosed with a pediatric brain cancer, pineal parenchymal tumor of intermediate differentiation in January of 2021, a type of cancer that I had never heard of before. Fortunately, Gabe went to St. Jude Children's Research Hospital for his treatment and today is doing well, although working through a number of side effects. John and Shannon will talk about the last two years and the difficulties that Gabe has had and will also discuss some of the psychosocial issues that their family has gone through during this period. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Now, my pleasure to introduce John and Shannon Sorensen to my audience and welcome them to my podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have both of you here. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now, John, I'm going to start with you. Uh, As we start our podcast, I'd like to take you back to just over two years ago in January of 2021, when you noticed that one of your son Gabriel's eyes was pointing inward. At first, you thought he was he might have been fooling around or, or or trying to play a joke or something. But as it continued, you decided that he wasn't doing that and that he needed to see an ophthalmologist. What did his ophthalmologist discover as far as the pressure he found on uh, Gabriel's optic nerve? Uh, it was an immediate thing. Uh, Shannon was the one that was with Gabriel at the at the appointment, and I think it was the second he got a look at at the uh, when he did started doing the exam. It was it was right away he noticed something was something was definitely off, and uh, it wasn't a muscular thing like we had thought, and it was uh, very high sense of urgency that he needed to get in for an MRI. Now, Shannon, what were you thinking? As you were told to go to Children's Hospital in Omaha, Nebraska, so that Gabe could get a lumbar puncture and an MRI. I think I was still kind of thinking this was some sort of normal thing. I didn't even nothing entered into my in my head that this is something serious that we need to to further look at. I think I was still kind of in shock a little bit because, again, we just went for a, what we thought was a routine eye exam and that they would just tell us, you know, you know, he might need glasses. That's why he's having a headache or his eyes were starting to turn. Uh, I don't think I even thought anything bad at that point was happening or could be happening. Now, John, you were then told that uh, Gabe had a mass on his brain. Were you given any details of what that actually meant? Not at that time. They didn't really have any details. It was just, uh, I think they showed us a a picture and yeah, they didn't really have a way of identifying it. They gave us uh, just kind of the basic diagnosis that he's got a mask and they needed to, they were wanting to do a biopsy there to see what, 
what exactly it was, what we were dealing with. And was the word cancer um, something that you thought about right away? No, no, that didn't really enter into our heads yet. It was just the initial shock. It was it was like a it was like a bomb got dropped on us when you know when we got to see the actual picture of it and reality started setting in that this is this is something serious. But yeah, I, at that point, I don't think cancer was even on our radar. Okay, so Shannon, you and Gabe then took a medical plane to St. Jude. Uh, Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, and John met you there after what must have been an extraordinarily long 11-hour drive to get there. How long after arriving at St. Jude did you find out what Gabe's diagnosis was and uh, what type of cancer did he have? We arrived later that day and i think it was the following day uh he had i believe it was the following day maybe two days later he ended up having a biopsy and with that biopsy is when they went in there and took a little a piece and came back and told us that it was indeed uh cancer and it was a rare cancer But I still don't think that it really like hit us until we met with the group of doctors at St. Jude. He had his surgery at Le Bonner Hospital, <clears throat> and then they transferred us over to St. Jude once they actually got the test results, and then we all got to talk about it, and um, that's when we first heard what the actual diagnosis was, and found out just how rare it really was. And I don't I don't really remember a whole lot after that. I think I was just very numb and didn't really know where we were supposed to go from here. I just remember asking like, is this going to kill my child? And they couldn't answer that question. That was very hard. I'm sure it was extremely difficult for both of you. Now, I've been doing these podcasts for two and a half years, and a good number of them have been on pediatric brain cancer. However, until I started to do my preparations for our podcast, I had never heard, and hopefully I'm going to pronounce this correctly, of pineal parenchymal tumor of intermediate differentiation. So I did a good job pronouncing that, that that's that's a plus for me. And then I started researching it. And first of all, for the older population of people get it, I think I saw that there were 17 cases documented in five years, which is an extraordinarily low amount of cases, of course, thankfully. Uh, but then in the pediatric cancer um, group, it's still less than, it's. I think it's 0.08% of all the pediatric brain cancers that are diagnosed. So not only is it extremely uh, rare, but uh, Gabe also had the issue that the cancer had spread to his spine. What were the doctors at St. Jude telling you at that point, even though they could not or would not answer the question 
of whether he would survive uh, his battle. And this question's for John. I mean, they, I don't know if they showed, uh, they, they were obviously concerned that it had spread, but I think because of the chain of events that led us to get him there, it, timing-wise, I think it was very early, and I think it was just a, a few specks on his spine. Um, and uh, I, although they, they, they wouldn't say, they couldn't give us an answer, you know, one way or the other is this, you know, is he going to make it? They were very optimistic. Um, and we, that was one thing we never did is we didn't, we didn't look at numbers or odds or did any Google research on any of that stuff, because that's, uh, that wasn't going to have any, any effect of his outcome and, and how they were going to approach this. So we didn't want to add any extra stress to it so we we kind of stayed with what the doctors were telling us staying optimistic and uh, just believed in the the plan of action that they came up with well it must have been at least comforting to you and i'll continue this uh, question with john that you were at a place like saint jude which is has a worldwide reputation of being one of the great if not the the, the best pediatric cancer hospitals in the world that must have given you some comfort i would think yeah we we were absolutely blown away by the facility we you know we'd seen the saint jude commercials here and there but didn't didn't really know a whole lot about it but uh you know they're they're top of the line proton radiation, the research and stuff they do there. We were we took a, a lot of comfort in in knowing that we were in the best place possible. Now, Shannon, I'm going to ask you about the initial treatment protocol for Gabe, and how did he handle it? Well, they decided that they were going to do something they hadn't done before. And that was to combine proton radiation and a low dose of chemo at the same time. So for the first six weeks, that's exactly what he did is he went under radiation, had to be put under anesthesia every day for like five days, five, for five days for six weeks. And he handled it for the most part very well because he was what he called sleepy town. So uh, he never really knew what was going on. Um, but when he started to get further on into the radiation, then we started noticing that he was, you know, starting to lose patches of hair. And I think that's when reality hit for us was like, holy cow, we thought we were going to get by and he's not going to lose any hair because it, it had taken so long for him to actually start showing signs. Um, that's when it was it became very real uh he was getting a little more tired his rambunctious little self was starting to slow down and that was really hard to watch because he's a very active little boy at six and uh things were starting to to wind down a little bit was was an eye-opener that something was definitely about to change john after a break in which you returned home to Omaha, you went back to St. Jude and got some good news about uh, Gabe's tu uh, tumor 
that it had shrunk enough so they could do surgery on it and have the tumor removed. How are you feeling after that news? And what happened next uh, after the uh, surgery and the chemotherapy regimen started? Uh, That was probably, I mean, I think both of us were just beaming with, you know, optimism after that. Uh, That was, that was the difficult thing with that tumor is initially it had a, it had encapsulated a blood vessel. So it was, it wasn't completely inoperable, but it was, there was no way they could risk going in there and, and uh, getting around that blood vessel. So the, the trial that they did with that chemo in the morning and then the proton radiation, it had shrunk. Uh, I don't remember what the percentage was, 10, 10 to 15%, if I remember right. And that made it so that blood vessel was then just going over the top of that tumor. So it was like, it was like an ideal situation. Um, but it was, it was hard to contain the smiles after we sat down and, and saw the scans and got the news. Um, the surgery, however, that was, that was a, the biopsy was hard enough. The going in for that brain surgery was, I mean, it was, it was hard to, it was hard to sit still and, and, and think because it just, I don't know, it was a five hour, four, four or five hour surgery, if I remember right. And it was quite the, uh, quite the incision he has from that. And, uh, but man, he, once we got into recovery, it was, it was hard taking it all in, but he, he bounced back. I think the next day he was up on his feet and, and walking around and it was just, uh, it was crazy how, how quickly he came around and, how he took everything in stride. And did he begin uh, chemo after that? Because I know he had some chemo regimens uh, included uh, in the treatment. I think we waited for a week or two. They wanted to make sure everything was okay. And then we were ready to start our four rounds of high-dose chemo. And what that consisted of was, I think, three or four, three, three different chemo treatments or chemo drugs. And each time he would have to be inpatient. We would stay there for about four or five days. And then he would have to recover for 20, anywhere from 21 to 28 days. And then that they would retest him. Was he, he has to get blood drawn and all that all the time and as his numbers were going down then we would see oh he needs a blood transfusion oh he needs a platelet transfusion and once we got to i think it was round two we started noticing him getting a little bit more sick first one he breathed through and we thought okay this is great he's, he's going to be wonderful at chemo and you know clearly that did not happen and he got super sick and then it took longer each time to recover before we could start again. So it it's all depending on what his numbers look like before it's safe enough to go back in there and give him such a high dose of, of treatment. It really 
does a number on these kids and it brings their immune system down to was zero, which, you know, common cold could destroy them. So we always had to be extremely careful. Now I'm going to continue with you, uh, Shannon, to talk about the blood and platelet transfusions that Gabe went under. I think uh, that John had mentioned he went under about 13 or 14 of them and they weren't pleasant uh, to put it mildly. How difficult was it to watch uh, him get weaker and weaker each time that he had one of these um, transfusions and lose the weight that he had because he really had no appetite? That was the hardest part. He, because, so when, once we got to round three, Gabriel just stopped eating. And he was tiny to begin with. He was a preemie baby. So he was already a, a tiny little thing. But this brought him even, I mean, smaller because anything that he would eat, he would throw back up or a certain smell would make him want to get sick. So when we would have to go through, you know, the transfusions and things like that, he would have to get his port access. And that was excruciating for him. That was something still to this day brings him so much trauma. And when we would get platelets or blood transfusions, sometimes it would be both in the same time. We would be there for about six hours. Sitting in a bed, and watching TV, me trying to close my eyes because I hadn't gotten any sleep the night before. And it was it was awful because we would take pictures of what he looked like before and what he was looking like with each transition. And you would start seeing his ribs. You would see his bones popping out. It was just, it was awful. It's decided cancer that, you know, you don't really see unless you're in the middle of it. And yeah, it was, it was not pleasant at all. It was heartbreaking to watch. Now, and, and how long a time period did these um, transfusions uh, take? Uh, was it weeks or months or how long did that last? It, it was throughout, throughout the entire journey he had had them. So I think his last, his first transfusions probably would have been in February. And he didn't stop getting transfusions until August. Okay. So you're talking about a six month period where you had to not, you had to watch this and uh, even worse, uh, Gabe had to go through it. But John in September, you got the great news that Gabe had no evidence of disease, which is something that every uh, cancer parent wants to hear. And you once again, able to return to Omaha to your family of five as Gabe has two brothers. Gabe's now eight years old. And how is he doing in his everyday life? And how is he doing uh, academically? He's, he's doing really well. Um, He's back to his, I mean, he's got, he's, he's like a nuclear reactor of energy. He's just nonstop. And uh, it's, it was so good to see that side of him coming back. Uh, But he's, he's doing really well. Uh, Academically, he's, he's falling behind. He, he had, he had always tested far above on the, on the academic scale uh, when they would, you know, doing assessments and stuff. And he's, 
because of all the treatments and stuff, he's he's suffering uh, short-term memory loss, which makes math really frustrating for him. Uh, readings, readings that has become an issue, uh, but he's. That's the hard thing is he can see when we're especially with math. We'll go through the different uh, things they're learning, and he'll do really well once he gets it. And then we'll go to do a review, you know, the next day or two later, and it's it's like the slate's wiped clean. We got to re reteach him all over again, and he's he realizes that once once we go through it, it's like it'll click. Oh yeah, I, I remember this. And then he gets really frustrated because he realizes he's he's not getting it. He's forgot. Uh, we've been really blessed with a great a great team at his school. They, they've been really good at working with him, giving him extra help, uh, staying in contact with us, giving us stuff to work with at home. Um, but it's I think it, it's a it's a side we didn't really expect to have happened to him just because he was always so bright and and smart to begin with we didn't we didn't really see that we didn't really know that that's something that we were going to see down the road after after treatments were over with one of the problems with any cancer pediatric cancer diagnosis especially a pediatric brain cancer diagnosis are the after effects and the side effects that uh these kids go through and Shannon, I'm going to ask you about some of the f- side effects that Gabe has experienced and have his doctors discussed with you as far as how long that these side effects might last. Oh, that's a great question. Um, first side effects go the short-term memory loss, obviously. And that's just stuck with everything. And you you really have to read the exam on it's almost like having a toddler in the house. You have to really be after him to pick up his toys, remind him to brush his teeth, all those things. He also has high-frequency hearing loss, so we do have to remember loss. They believe that he's always going to have this. We're not so convinced of that. We think that if we keep working with him that you know things will turn around. But... I'm not sure. I, I we are trying to be very optimistic, but like you said, with when it comes to anything with the brain, it's very unpredictable. So we just have to learn that, you know, whether it's school, his friends, his brothers, that people are a little bit more patient with him because he's a lot more sensitive now to than he used to be. He also has what they call posterior fossa syndrome, and he would have very weird in the beginning like outbursts where he can wave at you flip you off and blow your kiss at the same time and he would look at you like i can't believe i just did that and he would get so emotional because he knew that that was not okay or he would say really bad cuss words and then because he didn't understand why he said that when he knew that wasn't okay now that part of it is gone. We no longer experience any of that. So it makes me feel like there is hope that he will overcome some of these things that they say he won't because he is such a determined young man. And that is the one thing about cancer and kids is that they're so resilient and they have to grow up faster than they ever needed to. 
And so I just, I know my kid and I feel that if he wants it bad enough, he's going to achieve those things they say he can achieve. Now, I'm going to transfer this podcast a little bit to the psychosocial part of pediatric cancer, which is such an important uh, element to this. Um, And the first thing I'm going to ask about or talk about is the siblings issue. Siblings play a major role uh, in the so-called family village when there's a cancer diagnosis, some good, some bad, some in between. And your family has certainly felt this in a number of ways. John, can you talk about Gabe's older, two two older brothers, one of whom is 15 years old, the other 16 years old, and how difficult it has been for both of them uh, to watch uh, what was happening to Gabe and how they reacted to it. It was extremely hard, uh, especially with my older son. To, Gabe and, and and him had a very close bond. Uh, it, the hardest thing is it, it happened in a matter of, you know, two days he went to an ophthalmologist and then all of a sudden he's on a medical flight to St. Jude. And I mean, it was, and it was at the time of COVID. So, you know, the, the boys couldn't come up to his room at children's. Um, they had to say, they had to say goodbye through, through the window. They didn't end up, they let us go into the, into the lobby area. So they were able to get hugs and stuff, but, um, it was just, it was very rough on them, and you know, on, on top of the uncertainty with Gabe's diagnosis, you know, Shannon and I both had to leave. Um, and there was a few times I was able to come back. I would drive back, you know, for a long weekend and spend time with them and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was it was extremely hard. They, uh, you know, they they try to do, you know, Facebook Messenger video chats and stuff like that but you know on something like this it's hard to it's hard to you know deal with that as a kid you can't can't hug your brother and you know talk to him and stuff face to face um so they they ended up with some you know a lot of depression anxiety issues uh like i said my my 16 year old took it the hardest you know, and it was it was really hard for Gabriel too because he's you know he's used to being around them guys twenty four seven, and then to just be ripped out of the home and and gone for so long it's it was brutal for all of them. I think one of the most underappreciated psychosocial issues is what happens to parents during their child's ordeal, and certainly. In your family, um, it's happened to you. I'm going to ask Shannon. It's a difficult question to ask, and I completely understand if you you'd prefer to pass on it. But I, I think it, you know, is important to show how a, something like this can affect anyone. As you had uh, an anxiety attack one uh, the night before uh, the biopsy that 
Gabe was supposed to go through. They were surprised. The doctors were surprised you didn't have a stroke because your blood pressure was so high. And I would think that that would be a very common occurrence uh, for any parent to completely, you know, uh, have an issue when you're waiting. The waiting uh, for something like this, I'm sure, must be torturous. How are you doing now with that? And I know that you, uh, your family's all been in therapy. Has being in therapy helped you deal with the situation uh, in, in a more, um, in a better fashion that, than perhaps uh, it was at the beginning? It's definitely helping. Dave and I, while we were in Memphis, after I had suffered uh, the anxiety attack, and panic disorder, I ended up finding that meditation and Reiki, which was one of the other families that we had got contact with, that's what they did. It was it's just energy healing. And I went, well, maybe I could get into that. My body needs to heal. And so I had had a, a session with them in Memphis, and it changed everything for me. I was able to, I guess, look at things a little bit differently and learn that when I'm getting ready to have a panic attack, um, I'm going to know how to do it and take care of it on my own with breathing. And that's something that Dave and I would always tell each other is just breathe, just breathe and slow your breath. I mean, it was so bad that I, I, I had to force myself to get into the car just to get out and go to Walgreens. I am such an extrovert and I have become an introvert. And still to this day, it doesn't take much for me to get worked up. And I have to kind of remove myself from the situation. And therapy is teaching us, you know, other techniques too, besides the breathing, just there's tapping, there's uh, other things that she's going to try, like uh, hypnosis. It's, it's something that a lot of parents don't really talk about, but it's it's a really real thing. When the cancer part of it is over, so to speak, we still are feeling the effects of that because it, it's still trauma to us. It's something that we, I don't think, are ever going to forget or ever you know, be able to forget. It's something that's going to constantly be there, so we have to learn how to navigate around it and become the new person that we are and so a lot of those things have definitely helped but you know i'll still get panic attacks and anxiety 100 percent. but i think i handle them a lot better now with certain things with breathing and having you know the boys in it i mean they kind of know what to look for if they start noticing something they're like hey mom sit down and take a breath and it helps me a lot better knowing that, you know, they're right there next to me. Certainly that's great to hear that things are better for you. And John, you've also undergone therapy. My question would be, how has it helped you? Uh, I think it's just helped equip us with, you know, better tools on how to manage, you know, until you go through something like this. Most people, it's not even something they've looked at as, you know, as a possibility to happen to them. Uh, 
But I think as parents, you go, you get so laser focused on, on your, on your child and, and, uh, getting them through their treatments and stuff, you, you put yourself on the back burner. And like Shannon said, once the, once the treatments are done, then you, you know, that part of it's over with. And then it's like, now you got to pick up the pieces for your, for yourself and for your family and, and try to, try to get back to where, where you were before. Um, but yeah, the, the breathing and just kind of recognizing, you know, when, when you're starting to feel off, recognizing that, you know, the anxiety, like when we go back for scans and stuff, that's, you know, every three months we're back there and we're kind of preemptively working on ourselves before we go back instead of just going and then dealing with, with the stress once we're there. Well, anxiety is a very common occurrence. Um, I could just imagine, I can't imagine uh, how difficult it must be uh, when you approach uh, that time that you have to go back and uh, be checked out, uh, praying that everything is okay. And it must be a very long and torturous uh, uh, or seemingly long and, and torturous experience for you. And it's a very, very common issue with parents, uh, as I'm sure you know, um, uh, be- before uh, you reach the the doctor's office the day of the scan. And Shannon, I'm going to ask you how, so you go back every three months for scans. Yeah. How long will that last? And what are his doctors saying about how Gabe is doing? And if they have any expectations uh, of, you know, down the road, how things will be for him? As of right now, we are every three months until he hits his three-year date of diagnosis date, which would be January of 2024. Then, if everything still looks good, we would move to every six months. However, our last visit, we had our first appointment with the endocrinologist to see how his uh, growing is, is doing. It started showing that he was leveling out and that he was not growing any longer. So that made us a little nervous because, you know, he's a pretty small little kid. And the only problem with that is he still has, I call them specs, in his brain still. And so obviously if they go and add these growth hormones to get him to grow, the potential for new tumors to grow is there as well. So we have to keep his you know, his health in check first before we even consider putting him on growth hormones. And if we do, they're talking at least six to seven years, he would have to have an injection every single day. We haven't said anything to him about this yet because, you know, we just, we were told let's wait. We're in no hurry because of him only being eight. The other issue they're seeing is whether or not he's going into puberty faster than he's supposed to. And we can put him on um, medication to stop that, which is completely different from the growth hormone treatment. And so as of right now, that's kind of where we are. So I don't honestly know if that will make a difference 
and push us out every six months or if they'll keep us at three. I would assume delivery three because they're going to want to keep monitoring him unless they expect us to do that here at home. It hasn't really been talked about yet. John, I'd like to now transition to talk about the nonprofit, Gabe's Giving Tree. Why did you decide to start the nonprofit and what is its major objective and mission? I think it we just because of how Gabe is, he's he was always thinking of all the other kids when when he was there. He was given uh, you know stuffed animals or toys and and different things like that just to put smiles on kids' faces. And I think we all decided, you know, once we get through this, we're going to, we got to come up with something to try to give back. Um, so Gabe's Giving Tree, our goal is to just help raise awareness for pediatric cancer. Um, Shannon just recently started looking at working with some people in in the school system, uh, making up some flyers and stuff, just just to help people know, you know, before this, we thought, you know, our chances of winning the lottery were better than ever running into pediatric cancer. And we're just, we just want to help educate people, tell them what to look for, um, and just help, help raise awareness. Um, another thing we're, we're looking at doing is having like a kind of a go bag type of thing for, for parents like us, you know, in two days time, we were packed up and then in another state um, and just coming up with with the bag for for these parents you know stuff they don't know they're going to need that they're they're going to need stuff that we found out after going through our through our journey um, and just helping to helping to provide support we've got you know a list of nonprofits uh, that can offer support wherever they're you know in different states where they're at how to get in contact with you know financial support uh, community resources, that kind of thing, just to help, just to help parents out because they've got enough deal that they're dealing with as it is with their child. Uh, just trying to trying to work with them and, and offer any bit of help they can they can need. Shannon, what's been the reaction from the community to your nonprofit? It's still a work in progress. So that's been the hardest part. I think that no one really prepares you for what type of work you have to put into a nonprofit. But if I didn't know anything, this cancer journey has taught me to be as strong as I can and to not give up when you're hitting roadblocks. And uh, the biggest issue right now is, you know, I just figure out exactly where do we fit in at because there are so many nonprofits. There are so many that raise money. So, and, and because we're not necessarily doing that, sometimes we're not getting the attention we want. And for us, it's just, it's more about, you know, the awareness of in our schools. We noticed that there are a lot of uh, things that happen like breast cancer awareness in our schools, but nothing ever centered around childhood cancer. And we thought that was crazy because, you know, we have kids that come to school here. Shouldn't we be supporting and honoring them? And so that's kind of where we have hit roadblocks because 
a lot of them are, you well, you have to go talk to the, you know, EPA or you have to get on the board, you have to do this, you have to do that. And where I thought it would be super simple and, hey, we're saying, let's do this for our kids, people would just be open and it would just flow naturally. But it's definitely going to take some time. You know, we, we're not going to give up, but we want to be able to give them the resources uh, that have helped us when it came to Gabe. We couldn't have been luckier to have an amazing teacher through this time. Not only did she have to navigate through COVID, but she was also navigating with Gabriel's class and keeping him in connection with them the entire time, which was so crucial for his um, his mental health. And uh, that is something we want to be able to share with the schools is you've got to understand that even though that child is not there, they need you. They need the classroom. They need uh, organizations like Monkey in My Care and Hope Cam that will still connect you with your student. And that, that's kind of where we are. We're just, we're plugging away and we're we're trying to find out where we can get in. I, I think the one thing we want to help bring to the school's attention too is that it goes both ways because, you know, using Monkey in My Chair and Hope Cam, you know, that that helped out Gabe's uh, his classmates. I mean, their their faces lit up. Uh, you know, when, when he could still participate in class with uh, with the with Hope Cam, and then you know they would send us pictures with them taking uh, Gabe's Gabe named his monkey Big Gabe. So the monkey that they would take in his place, they were on field trips and and doing all kinds of stuff. So you know, that. That helped the kids in his class and and helped Gabriel out as well. So, and a lot of a lot of schools have no idea about that. So, that's what we're wanting to help spread the word. Shannon, do you have any specific events that you have either uh, already launched or are thinking about as far as fundraising uh, to um, bring more attention to what Gabe and others uh, have gone through? We are. Planning his big fundraiser in September. We wanted it to be in the heart of Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. So we are going to be doing a bunch of different little things. And one of the things that we're doing is um, painting rocks. It's like the rocks that you can you can put stains on it. You can just color the pictures. We learned this from St. Jude. And we wanted to kind of bring this back and get the community involved. And then once we paint these rocks, we will take the majority of them back to a, a St. Jude. And you hide them throughout the, the campus, whether it's indoors or outdoors. And when the kids are feeling good and they're able to get out and get some sunshine, they love to go rock hunting. And they get to pick up these beautiful rocks that have something like, you know, be strong, be brave, or just, you know, cute pictures. And on the back of it, they have like a hashtag. Uh, that you can go and get on and find out, you know, who that rock belonged to, what their story is. And you can just, it's a journey that you get to watch with uh, other kids. And, and so that's kind of one of the things that we're doing is we're involving a lot of the, the community to come and help us paint these rocks. We have a little scavenger hunt with it as well. And there'll be special rocks that will get special gifts and prizes. We have a DJ that's coming out. We have a food truck. We have a race 
car. I think it's a mini sprint. And he actually is dedicating his entire racing season to Gabriel. And his picture is on the side of his car with uh, Gabe's Giving Trees logo. And he's going to bring that out for all the kids to get pictures next to. Um, and we're just going to try to make it fun. We're going to we're gonna do something small and then work our way up because uh, I realized in this, this type of thing, you, you, you got to start small before you, you know, you got to spread the word as much as you can. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. Um, throughout the time between now and then, we'll have small little events to help just kind of raise money to purchase those things for our events, yard games, things like that. It's going to be kind of like an outdoor picnic is what we want to do. And just have, you know, have everybody just have fun. Well, I think that everyone's going to have fun. And I, I also think that what you're going to find as you, go on with this is that there are going to be more people interested. There are going to be more ideas that will come and your nonprofit will, will, will grow and uh, certainly uh, is going to help other kids and other families who unfortunately are going through a situation uh, just like you have been uh, going through. I'm going to ask both you to answer the next couple of questions. And I'm going to ask John first, what is Gabe taught you? Uh, he's he's taught so many different things. Uh, just his just his strength and persistence. Uh, you know, I've seen him so beat down with with you know feeling sick, not eating, and just miserable. And he is he has always taught us to you know think about. Try to think about other people before yourself. He was always, you know, handing out bracelets or toys or just, you know, touching another kid on the hand and saying hi. Uh, but yeah, he's he's taught us to, you know, the amount of inner strength this kid has is just amazing. He's, uh, you know, with, with Shannon's anxiety attacks and stuff, he Gabe's recognized that he's. When I was at home, he's he's brought her down from that that state of panic. Um, yeah, he's been it's still going on to this day. He's he's always teaching us, you know, for an eight year old, the perspective he has is, and what he's gone through is just amazing. Well, before I ask Shannon the same question, I, I just want to make an observation that I've seen this happen so many times that in reality. The kids are the ones who very often pull their parents through this battle. Um, they're the ones who uh, are just so strong and so giving uh, to others. Uh, and I don't know what the instinct is. I have no idea how you get it, but uh, I've heard so many wonderful, wonderful tales, just like you're telling me about Gabe, that they that yeah, they're sick, obviously, and in pain, and nothing's going right, but they're still there, uh, giving back to others and, and trying to help others. And he certainly seems like uh, he must have great values from you, and he must have great instincts that he was born with. So it's uh, certainly nice to see how he has, you know, really uh, taken what has happened to him and done everything he uh, has been able to do to compensate for it. Now, Shannon, is your turn to answer. What has Gabe taught you? 
He has taught me how to be brave. That is probably the biggest thing that I have taken away is when I was going through what I was going through, I remember I would get so upset and I would say, this is not about me. Why, you know, why is this happening at the same time? And he would always be so comforting. And I think that's kind of too why we came up with Gabe's giving trees because he is so giving. It's just, it's his nature, and this has brought it out even more. But the biggest thing is he's just he's more of a nurturer, and he's just. I think I'm braver and wiser because of him. I am so lucky to be his mom, and I couldn't imagine. And I know this sounds terrible going on this journey with anyone else but him. Because he has taught me so much and he will continue to teach me. I'm sure that he will. John, how has this experience over the last two years changed you? My perspective on things is completely different. Uh, I don't give energy. Well, I try to I try to not give energy to you know in to things in the big picture that don't matter. Um, getting caught up with, with back and forth stuff, politics. I don't. I don't bother with that. I've after going through this and seeing what's truly important. I don't. I don't feed into that stuff. I focus on family and getting us, getting us help back being healthy, and just experiences with family. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't give any energy to to negativity anymore. Certainly, a a big thing that ha- has uh, has helped you. And Shannon, I'd like you uh, you to answer that question as well. I'm definitely not the same person, but I think that the old Shannon needed to shed that old skin, if that makes any sense, and. Because of all of this, it has put so many things, like John said, in perspective that I want my energy to go towards helping other families and being there to support them when they have been hit with this awful news. And that's kind of what I've become as a mentor to a lot of these parents and why I'm such a huge advocate in spreading awareness to our community and our schools. It is so important that we don't forget about these kids and that that they're teaching us things. And I just, I don't know. I'm just not the same person, but I'm not the same person in a good way. And I look at things very differently and I am more, more giving. I am more out there trying to come up with a solution. I may pile way too much on my plate, but I feel like that I am so grateful for this opportunity to help other people. And I don't think I would have done that had cancer not entered in our lives. Where can people get in touch with you to learn um, certainly more about Gabe, about Gabe's giving tree and uh, what you've been through because it's been, but because you've been through quite a uh, difficult journey. We have a, Facebook page right now it's it's uh Team Gabe and then we also have our website for Gabe's Giving Tree. Uh 
you can also go to gabesgivingtree.org and send us messages. We have Instagrams. There is, you can call us. We will answer wherever you message us from. And, and we would love to just, you know, hear about your stories, about what your journey is, and just know that, you know, we are a safe place and we want to, we just want to be able to, to help other people and, and bring more awareness to your, you know, to a school near you. It doesn't have to be local. It's, we can do this from anywhere and it shouldn't stop. We need to, we need to keep letting them know that our kids are here. And unfortunately, childhood cancer isn't going away. It's not going away. And uh, as we come to the end of this podcast, I want to, first of all, congratulate you on the way you've been able to, you know, come through this, this experience. And it's, you know, it's probably, at some point seems like it's been a lifetime. Uh, and sometimes you probably think it's been you know, very quick, but it's been two years of a lot of drudgery, a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment. But the fact is that Gabe is doing well and that um, hopefully that will continue. And I want to thank both of you for taking the time to really uh, in a very eloquent way, way, talk about what you've all been through and not just on a clinical basis as far as a particular, um, you know, blood counts and chemo and, and all of the, the medications and stuff that, that your son has been through. But the psychosocial part of it is just so important in the pediatric uh, c- uh, cancer journey. And uh, you've all been through it. And, uh, have have come out the other side, thankfully, and which of course I we all hope will continue for many years to come. And I want to wish you, uh, and of course Gabe and your two other boys, the best of luck as time goes on. Thank you. Thank you. And have a good day. The journey that Gabe has been through is a very difficult one, and the hope is that Gabe will be getting better and better as time goes on. As you heard, however, a pediatric cancer battle affects every member of every family, with both John, Shannon, and Gabe's older brothers having to deal with the issues that are hard to overcome. And as Gabe continues to recover from his form of pediatric brain cancer, hopefully the entire Sorensen family will continue their recovery as well. This is Mark Levine, and please tune in on Thursday when I will speak with Debbie Ross who has spent the last 40 years as the housing director for the Ronald McDonald House in Albany, New York, making her the longest-serving housing director of this iconic place, which has 380 of these homes spread out over 45 countries.